So, Book of James. Are we ready to continue the journey? Tyler set it up well last week. Um, let me just give you a kind of a snapshot. Uh, Steve, could you turn me down just a little bit, please? Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. So, just a snapshot. I want to kind of set the historical context from what we learned last week. Tyler did a Pastor Tyler did a wonderful job. But you see, what's happened is, you know, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They had that beautiful uh, commissioning on the mountain in Galilee of the 500-plus Christians that before he ascended into heaven, right? Do you remember this from the book of Matthew? And so he ascended into heaven, and then shortly after that, the, the disciples were gathered in the upper room and they experienced Pentecost, right? The coming of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in that upper room, and then Peter went out and preached his first message. Do you remember all this from the, the book of Acts? So Peter preached this message and 3,000 were saved. This was the beginning of the church. And then it says in Acts is that they met day after day and the Lord kept adding to their numbers. They kept building the church. We don't know the total number, but there was a lot of believers within Jerusalem. But as Pastor Tyler pointed out, then you get to Acts 8 and we see the first martyr, which was who? Stephen, thank you. It was Stephen that was martyred. And then you have this dispersion of the church as we knew it back then. And they all left Jerusalem. They all left Israel and they went to foreign countries. They were all pushed out for the most part. The apostles remained, it says, in Jerusalem, but the rest of them were pushed out. So in that setting, can you picture that? They've all left their temple, <clears throat> their people. They've all left their temple. And they're, they're off in these foreign lands. And they're wondering a couple of questions. You know, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ? Am I really born again? Am I, am, I, am I part of the family of God? Why is all this happening to me, to us? The other question is, how do we live now? We've been exiled from our nation and our temple and all that we know. What should life look like for me as a Christ follower? So that's the setting of the first letter of the entire New Testament written by James to, to, the, to the believers at the time. You got that? You picture that? So, what we're going to work through here is this, uh, Tyler shared our outline with you over the next number of weeks, and you know, we've got saving faith in trials, which we'll talk about today, next week, saving faith in temptation, saving faith in the Word, saving faith in how we view others, saving faith in works, saving faith in my words, saving faith in wisdom, saving faith in the world, and you see the rest of them there. But the point here, here's the examining questions we're going to be looking at as we go through each one of these. The first question that we have to answer, am I truly born again? Am I a believer? Are you with me on this? That's the first question we have to answer as we go through these specific challenges from the book of James. And my prayer is that none of you let your pride get in the way. Because when is the best time to realize that you're not a member of God's family? Today. Today is the best time if you're not a member. When's the worst time to find out you're not a member of God's family? Yeah, at the Bema Seat of Jesus Christ. You don't want to find out then, so don't let religion or however you were raised or your pride get in the way. If the Holy Spirit starts convicting you, that you know what, maybe I'm not a child of God. It's okay. That's good news. You can still surrender and be born again. Amen? Amen. So that's good. So just let that watch over. And the second main thing we're going to be looking at, so first is, are you saved? The second one is, how you doing as a believer? 
Are you growing? Are you growing up in Christ? Is the other challenge of James. Are you maturing in your faith? And we'll see as we go through these, the tests that come out of it, and, and, and we'll see where we're at, which is good. And the verse that came to mind is 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And that's what we're going to be doing. And then secondly, are we still babies, or are we growing in, in our faith in Jesus Christ? So with that said, if you please open your Bibles to Acts, I'm sorry, Acts, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, we'll review tonight, and we get our... We get our wonderful, what I've missed, one of the things I've missed most over COVID is Charles' Scottish reading of the Word of God. We get that back today, amen? Praise the Lord, yes. Charles is back. I get my water so I don't get COVID. Okay. Count it all joy, God's Word. Sorry. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. 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 Thank you, Charles. Appreciate it. So one of the things, the thing we're going to talk about today is how we respond to trials will indicate, first, if we're saved, and second, where we're at spiritually. Okay, that's, we're just going to look at trials today for one of our testing truths out of God's Word. By the way, we have Izzy's parents are here today. You all know Izzy. He's next door as usual watching. That's his, Izzy's parents. So make sure you say hello to them. I believe you're going to be joining us for lunch next door, Izzy said. Yeah, okay. So Izzy's next door because he's staying away from all of us COVID people, but none of us are COVID people. But so I just want to say they're here today. So this issue of trials. Now let me just set this up a little bit with you is that Trials are one of the greatest gifts of God. It's one of the great transformational tools God uses in our life to make us into the men and women of God He wants us to be. You okay with that? Do we, do we always embrace our trials with great joy? Knowing that, oh, this is one of God's great gifts to the body of Christ, and oh boy, here comes another trial. No, we don't do that, do we? But here's the reality is that we all know this, but let's just kind of review this a little bit. We have three primary enemies that we're dealing with in this great spiritual battle we're in. One is the world and its fallenness and all of its temptations. And the world is constantly trying to allure us with counterfeit loves and counterfeit joys and counterfeit pieces to pull us away from our dedication and our love to Jesus Christ. Amen? 
We also know our second enemy is, is Satan himself. He's the prince of this world, and he is orchestrating the things in the world and leading us into temptation and trying to get us to fall away from Jesus Christ. And the third enemy we have is our unredeemed flesh. And I always like to refer to it as the two-year-old child that lives within me that's constantly pulling out my sleeve, gimme, 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 gimme. Amen? That's our flesh. It's constantly crying to, to meet needs and do things we shouldn't be doing and to indulge in the, in the things of the world. So, we all know that, and you're all here for a reason, is because we all desire to overcome these spiritual battles in our life. So I pray we all know that how do we do that? We live a faithful, obedient life. We're men and women of the Word of God. We're men and women of prayer. We're dedicated to our church on Sunday and Bible study on Wednesday. We love to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is how we overcome the world. Amen? But there are things in our life, there are strongholds, there are blinds, blindnesses in our life, there are idols in our life that we don't see even as we're living the faithful life. So into that context, God brings trials. He brings trials to reveal the idols in our life. He brings trials to show the flaws in our character. He brings trials to raise us up and mature us as Christ followers. That's why he brings them in. It's, it's just one of the tools he has to use in this fallen world to kind of slap us in the face, wake us up to the reality of where we are with Jesus so that he can transform us more into the image of his son. And by the way, the songs we sang, I don't even need to preach the sermon. The songs we sang explain everything in the scripture that we just read. So I'm so thankful for that. But we're going to go through it anyway. So that's the situation. Now, let me also add this to, to you. that It'll be a test for you. Since what I just told you is absolutely true from the Word of God, Satan breathes a false gospel into the church. And the false gospel is, and by the way, it's, there's many types and pictures of the prosperity gospel. You've all heard of that, right? And don't get me wrong, it's everything from Joel Olstein and his false teaching to all kinds of small Bible churches teaching a version of the false gospel. Now here's what's so powerful about the false gospel is that people believe, a lot of people's gospel says that God wants to make me happy and prosperous and healthy and he wants my life to be comfortable and, and, and good. Are you with me on this? So if I believe that's true, and I'm talking from a worldly standpoint, I'm going to get into the real gospel in a minute, because does God want us to be, does he want us to be happy? Does God love you? Does he want you to be happy? Yes, but the problem is, is our definition of happiness is confused within this false gospel. So look at this, if I believe God wants me to be prosperous, healthy, and wealthy all the time, if that's my gospel, when trials come into my life, what do you think happens? I'm going to, thank you, I'm going to call you Steamer still, Maurice. That's my nickname for him. But so, yeah, we falter, we fall, because it's like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? I thought I was a faithful servant. I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted me to be happy. And God is saying, I do. But your, your definition of happiness is not my definition of happiness. My definition of happiness is I want to make you more like Jesus, my son. I want you to have godly character attributes. I want you to be filled with supernatural love, joy, and peace. I don't want to give you these, these counterfeits that, that are temporal, that will never satisfy the needs of your heart. 
So you see, when you, when you go into trials and if you find yourself grumbling and complaining against God, why me, God? I thought you loved me, God. You're, you're not all powerful. You're not all good. I can't believe you're letting this happen to me. It's because you're believing a false gospel. Because that's not the God that we serve. He loves us so much, He wants to make us more like Jesus. And I'm telling you, you, you this is the examination of this text. Are you saved or aren't you saved? If you're believing in a false gospel and you're not embracing trials the way God wants you to, it's probably because you're not saved. And I love you. I want you all to be saved. Thank you, Maurice. So, i got to tell you the truth. This is what the text is teaching us. Because that's the introduction. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your living word. We come under your word. We know that your word is true in all scriptures God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I pray, dear Father, you know that we, we love one another in this church and we do pray for anyone that is not saved today that you would convict them by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word and they would come into a saving relationship with you. And I also pray, Lord, for all of us that are born again that this text would convict us and help us to understand how we navigate the trials in our life in a way that brings you glory and honor. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's, let's jump in here, brothers and sisters. So first here, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when you meet trials of various kinds. So the first truth we, we see here is when you meet trials of various kinds. You see that? Now this word meet means encounter trials. In other words, they catch us by surprise. Have you noticed that in your life? Anybody? Yeah. So, you know, you're just going through life and things may be comfortable and things are going pretty well and then all of a sudden, a trial comes, right? You get a flat tire, your car breaks down, your finances get out of order, uh, you get a bad report at the doctor, you uh, have... Someone calls you, it's someone you thought you loved that uh, betrays you. On and on the list goes, right? Various kinds means that Jesus has a toolbox of all toolboxes full of trials. Physical, emotional, and spiritual trials that he pulls out. This is what's so beautiful about God, is that each of us are a poema, as the Bible teaches us. Each of us is a masterpiece made in Christ Jesus, knitted together in our mother's womb, and we're all different. So the trials that God needs to use in your life are going to be different than the trials he needs to use in my life. Does that make sense? Right? So, so there's trials of all kinds, as you know already, because they, they come at us, and, and, and they, they come at us suddenly and unexpected. And they're various. But it says here, so as these unexpected trials of various kinds come at us, what are we supposed to do? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. What does that mean? Is that we're skipping and singing songs as we're going through a trial? No, it's, it's, it's not the happiness or the feelings of the world. It's joy based on faith. Count means consider. It means to discipline your mind and, and, and take it into your mind that this is a this is a God-given trial, and I will take this on with a joyful heart surrendered to the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so that's what it means by count it all joy. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to make you happy. You're not going to be comfortable. 
In fact, there's, there's this element of incredible brokenness and sorrow and desperation and suffering in our trials. Amen? So we all go through them as believers. Now let me give you the, before you all start checking out on me, let me give you the, the, the basics of this battle. What you need to do right away when the trials come in. Are you ready for this? Got your journals out? So the first thing you need to do is to answer this question. Is God sovereign? Is God in control of everything? Not, and and here, here it is, brother. Says you, don't, you don't just say yes, which is good. That's a starting point. But you need to be praying back to God in all the ways that is true, that He's in control of everything. As you look up to the stars and the moon and the, and the sun, and you go, oh God, you're, you're, you're sustaining all that. You've created it all, and you're sustaining all those things. You, you're, by your will, the earth is spinning around its axis at, at 1,000 miles an hour, the exact speed it needs to be, and it's orbiting the sun at the exact right distance to keep a life alive. And then you look at creation itself, and you're just looking around going, wow, God. You know when a sparrow falls from a tree, you know the hairs on my head, you know when I run over a worm in my driveway. It just happened after the rain. I felt bad for it. But don't worry, my chickens ate it. But, but the reality is he knows everything and he's in control. There's no, oh, oh, God, oh God you, I, he missed that. He wasn't paying attention. So you've you got to remember in the depths of your soul that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He is in control of all things. Okay, you with me on that? The second thing, there's only two steps in this. The second thing is... You need to review the attributes of God. Is God love? Does God love you? He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. He created you. Does He want the best for you? Yes, He wants the best for you. He's a kind God. He's a patient God. As we sang today, He's a forgiving God. So, here's the conclusion from those two things. So, I, and I'm in a, so picture this. I'm in a trial right now. I'm suffering, my heart's broken, and, and I'm coming to God, and I'm reciting all these things to God. I'm just reminding us, God, I know you're all-powerful. I know you love me. And therefore, I know that in this trial, what you're allowing in my life is for my good and your glory. I believe that. Now, let me ask you this. Those that have been in trials here, you just say that once and you're done, right? <laughs> what? It's a constant. In the beginning of a trial, I mean, it seems like I couldn't take three steps without saying, God, I, I, know, I know you're in control. I know you love me. I know this is for your good and my, for my good and your glory. I take three more steps, and you keep reciting it back to God, you, and you have to believe it. And, and then as the trial goes on, eventually, maybe it's only every day or in the morning or maybe a few times a day, it tends to wane a little bit over time. But it, it is a process of you have to keep praying that back to God. So that, that's how you get your mind and heart ready to, to embrace a trial with great joy. And remember, all along that, just so you know, Tyler, Pastor Tyler talked about this next week, but all along that, Satan's going to be coming in and tempting you. You're not really a believer. God doesn't love you. Right? Because trials are brought on by God. Temptations only come from Satan. And in our trials is where he comes and he attacks. So... That's why you've got to keep praying that back. No, Satan, get behind me, Satan. I know God is in control of all things, and I know God loves me. I'm not listening to your lies. 
Now look at this next part of the verse here because it says, for you know, you see that? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. Isn't that awesome? Are you all still with me? Okay. So you know, well, how do I know? How do I know that this trial produces endurance or steadfast in my faithful walk with Jesus? How do I know that? You're still here. I like that, Jimmy. Yeah, so we're still here. So that's good. So I, and I'll get to that because that's a great point. But we also know from the Word of God, right? We know from the Word of God. The, the Word of God tells us that this trial will produce godly character attributes. Two of my favorites, if you want to write them down, is 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, and then Romans 5, 3 through 5. But trials, the Word tells us that trials and tribulations will help us become the men and women of God He wants us to be. But what Jimmy said is true. So if you have been walking with the Lord for a few years... By the way, have you noticed that when you first got saved, there was that honeymoon phase? Do you remember that, when you are first saved? Anybody? Yeah, there's that sweet honeymoon phase where it's just like you and God, and you and the Word, and you and the body, and things are going pretty well. And that's God's, I just love that, because that's God's little incubator for us new Christian babies. He it's just love, and he's, I remember it, I mean, it's just such a sweet time, and he's leading you into different truths, and really kind of building a foundation to get you ready for what? Trials. <laughs> to get you ready for trials. So my thing is, how we know is that you've been walking with Jesus for more than a few years, how many trials has God led you through? Lots of them, yeah, lot, too, too many to even count, right? And here's what we know, is that, I, like what Jimmy said, I'm still here, <laughs> He's still here, but also we, we also, as we look back over our trials, which is a good thing to do, we, we, we see the handprint of God in it. We see, we see how he made us more into the man and woman of God he wanted us to be. I love, I love the sound of a baby. It's awesome. By the way, those are two of Natalie's friends back here visiting her from Michigan and their little baby. Hi. So... So we see the handprint. So we know because the Word tells us that is our source of truth. And then we also know that we've been through a number of trials and we've seen God uh, change us and mold us, make us into the men and women of God He wants us to be. Now look at this next part. This is really good. By the way, someone asked when we're doing communion. We'll probably start communion next week. We've been waiting for two months for the COVID communion kits, which are all sealed in one. They're two-month back order. So next week we'll have communion, Lord willing. But, okay, so look at this next verse here. It says, and let steadfast have its full effect. Do you see that? This is such good counsel out of the Word of God. What, what do we want to do when a trial comes in our flesh? Run. We want to run. We want to run to, come, we want to, run to a cookie jar full of cookies and a glass of milk. We want out of this trial, right? What's that? There's nowhere to run. Well, we, well, we can, hey, come on. How, how many of us here have medicated before? Right? Medicated. We're going to do medication because we look at the poor and the rich, and they medicate differently, but they both medicate. We run to comfort and, and drugs and alcohol and sexual morality and things and you go, pride. You, you make your list. It's, it's endless. But he says, don't do that. It's a stick in it. Embrace the trial. Let it have its full effect on you. Are you with me on this? That's not easy. You got to say, okay, Lord, okay, here we go. I know it's for my good and your glory, and I'm going to embrace this trial. And here's what we have to do. What does it mean to embrace it? I know that in this trial, there's something you want to change in me. 
There's some character attributes in you you want in me you want to change. And I don't know about you, but I've seen seasons in my life where God's working on my love for God or my love for my brothers and sisters or um, my faith. Last year was all about my faith. I thought I had a strong faith and God revealed to me my faith is nowhere where it needs to be. So last year was a year of building my faith where I trust Jesus with all my heart in what he's going to do in my life. Have you noticed that? So, so the first thing is, what, okay, God, this trial's in here because you want to change something in me. And, and, and maybe it's revealed idols in my life. Maybe it's revealed strongholds. Maybe it's lies, I believe. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to embrace this trial because I want to come out of this a better man of God. So have your way with me. Reveal to me what's going on. And then where do we find those answers typically? The Word of God. As we go through the Word, He'll bring Scriptures to you and reveal things that He, he wants you to know and take in and change. The other part of it is, Lord, I also know it's for your glory, so... I'm not going to be just totally self-focused in my trial. How do you want to use this trial to impact others around me? As others know this trial I'm going through, I want to be a good witness. I want to be a bright light. I want to show them that I can persevere through this trial in a way that brings you glory. And the unbelievers that, that we work with, when they see it, they go, do you know what's going on with him or her? They're still joyful. How do they do that? And I love what Deanna said to the nurse. She said, Jesus. It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. And the last part of this is so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does that mean we become perfect people? No, that's, that's an, that, those words just mean spiritual maturity, that we become more like Jesus through every trial, which is the end result of fully embracing a trial and letting God have his way with you. Okay, you got all that so far? This is, this is a great prescription to trials. Now let me just give you, I have in your bulletin, I'm going to give you eight, I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can, but I want to give you eight things that happen in trials and eight things that we can count it all joy in a trial. It's in your bulletin too, but I'll go over them as quickly as I can. Because I know everybody's in a hurry. Just kidding. Hopefully. So first thing is, the first one is test and reveal our faith. So, the first thing that happens, <clears throat> which we've already talked about, brothers and sisters, when we come into a trial, it will reveal if we're believing a false gospel and whether we're truly saved. If we start grumbling and complaining against God and we're self-focused, we may not be in the family of God. The second thing it reveals is our attitude as we approach a trial may reveal that we're spiritually immature. We're not joyful, we're not peaceful, we're not grateful. We, we, we grumble and complain, maybe not against God, but against to other people about our circumstances. I can't believe I lost my job. I was one of the best employees in the company. You know, so I can name 10 other people that are worse employees than me, and they didn't get fired. How come I got fired? Right? So we start to grumble and complain, and, and that's an indication that we're not as mature as we should be if we're believers. We're not really trusting in God, and we're certainly not a good witness. So a test reveals our faith, whether we're saved or how sanctified we are. The second thing it does is it builds humility. Do you see that? Builds humility. You know, why does the scripture say, deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow Jesus? Because every day we get up, the first thing we want to do as a default is exalt self, not deny self. So pride is our greatest problem, right? Are you with me on this? Pride is our greatest problem. Anybody else? Amen. So, so what trials do, it kind of knocks the, knocks the wind out of the sails and we realize that life's not all about us and that 
God is in control and we're not. Especially go to a doctor and say, I got cancer. Guess what? It's kind of hard not to be humble. A broken relationship, not hard to be humble. So God uses trials in our life to remind us that He is God and we are not. It's a, it's a humbling experience. So we can count it all joy that God humbles us through trials, that He tests our faith. The third thing it does is it reveals idols. It reveals idols in our life. As you know, brothers and sisters, that our hearts are idol factories. Doesn't it seem in your life, as soon as you destroy an idol, you find another one growing up somewhere else in your life? And trials come in to reveal the idols in our life. And I don't know about you, but there's been times where a trial came in and just specifically took out that idol from my life that I didn't didn't even see as an idol until it was taken away and I was complaining and grumbling because I missed it so much, which indicated that it was an idol in my life. Are you with me on that one? Okay. So we can rejoice, count it all joy because of all these things. Look at number four here. It uh, helps to set our hearts and minds on the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Where's our home? Heaven's our home. Everybody with me on that? Heaven's our home. This is not our home. We are what? What does the Bible tell us? We're aliens. Thank you, Steamer. Aliens. We're aliens. But here's the problem. So, this is not our home. We're aliens. We're supposed to be ministers for Jesus Christ, ambassadors representing him in a false world, in a, in a fallen world. But what happens to a lot of us is we get pretty comfortable. We start to like this world. We start to like this world too much. And pretty soon we're, we're conforming to the world. We're holding the signs up of the world. And God's looking down and says, what, what are you all doing down there? Right? Are you with me? He goes, you're, you're representing the world and you're not representing me. And often trials come into our life to say, wait a minute, it's a, it's a, it's a, re, it's a reboot. I, this is not my home. Um, you know what? One of, the, one of the indicators to me is how, how much of death are we afraid of? So, I mean, if we really have a great fear of death, that indicates we're pretty well attached to this world. Don't get me wrong, there's always issues with death, but I'm saying, is there at least a part of us that looks forward to death, to, get, to being with Jesus? At least part of our hearts should be there. Don't get me wrong, there's, I'll miss my family and I'll miss some of you. But no, we'll, we'll, we'll be missing people and all that, but part of us should always want to be with Jesus and be home, which is an indication that we've got it right. Amen? All right, you're doing good. Uh, here's another one. Build an attitude of gratitude. It's not working. It's, but you can hear me. So build an attitude of gratitude. How about this? Uh, you know what? This is one of the first. I wasn't a believer then, but the, my accountant told me this. He wasn't a believer either, but he told me this truth, which is it's right on. Is anything we're given today we expect tomorrow? Have you noticed that? So we're, we're like the, the Jews in, in the wilderness with manna. We loved it for our first few weeks, but hey, you know, bring some meat on. So we, we, we can lose our attitude of gratitude. And I, I've always seen it with brothers and sisters in the mission. They, they come into the mission and they have this attitude of gratitude. I have safety, I have clothing, I have food. This is awesome. I'm getting a mentor. I'm getting good Bible teaching. But over time, that attitude changes. Amen? It's like... This food stinks, and I don't know why the air conditioner doesn't work better, and how come i got to sleep with this guy? I need a different roommate. 
and all of a sudden the grumbling comes back. Well, then a trial can come in and straighten you out again, right? So it builds that attitude of gratitude back. Oh, now it's all in order. Thanks, John. Oh, that didn't work. What am I doing here, John? Anything good? There we go. We got two now. She got two this time. So matures us as children of God. We've already talked about that. It's what he uses to grow us up. But we also talked about this, witness and encourage to the body of Christ and to the lost world. Let me, how about this? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone through a trial and then God brought someone else into your life that's going through that trial that you were used to encourage them in that trial? Amen? Yeah, so he, he uses the trials in our life. And I've seen people where their greatest trials in life are now the platform for their ministry. That's what, amen? Yeah. And the, and the last one is the most important one. With all of them, what he's really trying to do, God, is, is to build, build a deeper into, intimacy with our Lord. A more intimate relationship with him is... Because, come on, brothers and sisters, when we go through trials, we have no other place to turn. If it's, if it's a deep... God only does heart surgery, right? He's not interested in behavior modification. No, he's only interested... He only does heart surgery. So every trial, come on, you've all been there... You're sitting there and your soul is aching. You're, you're, you're desperate. You're alone. You have no one else in the world that can help you with this trial. Have you been there? You're, you're, you're really at the end of yourself and you're, you're crying out to God, oh God, please help me. I need you. He's the only one that can help you with those, in those times. And after you've been through a number of those trials where He's met you in that trial and He's ministered to you, you build an intimate relationship. And now you know when the trials come, I know exactly where to go. He's the only one I can go to. So it's an intimacy relation with Jesus. Okay. You got all that down now? Okay. One other, couple more. We're almost done. You're doing great. But let me show you this one. I love this in here because look where he goes next. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that wonderful? It's a promise from God. It's a divine commandment. Do you see that? How about, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a trial where you didn't need his wisdom? Yeah, I got this one, God. <laughs> I got it. I, I, I don't need your help on this one. No, every trial is a desperate cry for wisdom, right? And by the way, I mean, look at this. He says, cry out to me and I will give you wisdom. How? Generously. You know what that is? Abundantly. That's what that means. I'm going to give you abundant wisdom when you cry out to me in your trials. And look at this. Gladly, it's the desire of my heart to give you this, this wisdom. And he says, don't worry, it's going to be without reproach. Don't be ashamed. I'm not going to put any blame on you. I want you to come to me so I can help you. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying to us. I'm not bringing this in trial in your life so I can sit on my glorified throne and watch you suffer. I brought this trial into your life so I can walk with you in the trial, and in the end, you're going to become more the man or woman of God you, that I want you to be. Does that make sense? He's a God that wants to get engaged. He's, and by the way, in our trials, you know, the old uh, footprints poem, as we look back, there, sometimes our footprints disappear because he's carrying us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to walk with us and at times carry us as we go through these trials. So he says, cry out for wisdom. But then we get this warning. Look at this warning in here. And this is a good one. 
lot of good stuff in the Bible. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Thank you, Cacti. But <laughs> let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Not to expect to hear, receive anything from the Lord, he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Do you see that? What's that mean? It means we, we have to be all in. It's, we have to be, here's, what does double-minded mean? What's straddling the fence? Doubting, good, yeah, doubting. Thank you, brother. So really, it's, it's when we love the world. We say we love God, but we love the world and we love God, right? We have two masters. And so here it is. Here, here's a picture of it. So here I am going through a trial. I said, oh, dear God, uh, yeah, help me out with this, you know, if you can. And then what do we do? We go right to the world for solutions. We, try, right, we go to the world, you know, I, I, I need to do this. I need to take things into my own hands. I need to work this out in my own strength, Right? It's a, it's a doubting, as the brother said. It's, it's being double-minded. It's, it's split. In fact, what does Matthew uh, 6, 24 say? No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You know, I just got kind of, kind of prompted here. You know, it breaks my heart that a lot of times as I'm preparing the message for Sunday, or maybe if I'm teaching on Wednesday, God burns my heart for one of the one of the members of the church. And amazingly, most of the time, not half the time, more than half the time, that person that God has what why do you think God burdened me, burdened that person, brought that person to my heart while I was studying the word of God, getting ready for a teaching? He has a message for them. He has a message for I stop and pray for that person, but he has a message for them, but Less than half the time that person shows up at church that Sunday or that Wednesday. It's truth. It happened again today. And you know why that is? Because they're double-minded. Their priority is not church and Bible study. It's not the highest priority for them. They don't see it as if there's other things in their lives of the world that seems significant to them, they will let those things win over and they'll push off church and they'll push off Bible study. That's being double-minded. Are you with me on that? But he says here, if someone approaches him in a trial that is uh, not all in, then don't expect an answer. Okay. Two more. Can you Two more. Can we do it? Tanya, can we do two more? Okay. All right. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So what we see here is that what, he, what James is telling us, he, he took two extremes, but he says trials come to both the rich and the poor. Trials will come both to the educated and uneducated. Trials will come to the powerful and the weak. He's going to bring trials into everybody's life. But it, he shows us two different temptations. For the lowly brother or sister, those who are poor, maybe they're living under a viaduct or, or they're homeless in some other way, it, it says that the temptation in life might be something like this. Isn't my life difficult enough? 
Aren't I suffering enough? Why are you bringing this trial into my life, God? See, the temptation for the poor is a, a pride of self-pity that can overcome them, that they, they don't need trials in their life. You okay with that? Now, the rich, rich is the opposite end, is they have the pride of, self, of, of self-sufficiency. Do you see that? They don't need God. See, the, the, the poor is mad at God because they don't think they need the trial. The rich says, I don't care about the trial because I'll just handle this myself with all my money. Right? So the point is, is that they both face pride issues, but the point James is making is that he's going to bring trials into everybody's life because everybody needs them. You good with that? Okay, last one. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, the man and woman, steadfast under trial, for when he or she has stood the test, he will, or she will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Isn't that good news? Now, let me just give you this picture here, is that who, who's going to get a crown of life? Everybody that was born again, right, at the beam of seat of Christ, everybody will get a crown alive. But the reality is, is, here's the way I'd like you to picture this. Our position, our work in heaven will depend on how much we've been transformed into the image of Jesus. Your eternal work for God will be dependent about how you lived out your life here on earth and how much you've been transformed into the image of Jesus. Are you okay with that? See, when we were born again, we became babies again, right? Well, I'm sad to say this, there's been specifically men I've known for 30 years that were born again, and guess what? They're still drinking milk. They're still drinking out of a bottle when I meet them out in the world. I believe they're born again, but when they go to the Bema Seat of Christ, they'll get a crown of life but I don't know what their work's going to be because they're babies. They're babies. What can God give them to do? He'll give them. Now, don't misunderstand me. We'll all be glorified, and we will all be filled to the brim with supernatural love, joy, and peace. Are you with me on this? I'm not saying anybody's going to be wanting, coveting, or upset when they get to heaven. But the reality is, is you might be a thimble. You'll be full. You'll be a baby. But you'll be full. Other people are going to be a a five-gallon bucket and a 55-gallon drum. They're all going to be filled, but based on how much we've embraced trials, read the Word, disciplined our lives, transformed in the image of Jesus, will determine our eternal work with Jesus Christ. James put this in there as an encouragement. Get serious about this life transformation. This is a temporary mist, our life here. I've got eternity for you. And I, I have a great word for you. Just engage in the battlefield. You good with that? All right. Great job. Let me just review real quickly. So we're going to meet trials of various kinds. They're going to come unexpectedly. They're physical, emotional, and spiritual. At that moment, what are we supposed to do? Count it, count it all joy. It's a mental discipline process. It's for, and we have to preach the gospel to ourselves that God is all-powerful, God is in control, He loves me, and it's for my good and, and His glory. Then I gave you the list of eight things you can count it all joy, things that God does in trials. 
And when you come to a trial, don't run from it. That'll be your first inclination is to run as quickly as you can. Stay in the fire. Grow up in Jesus. Don't forget, ask God for wisdom. He desires to give you wisdom, and He gives it generously without reproach. Trials come to all children of God, no matter where you are in your walk of your life. Be be expecting the trials of God so you're ready for them. And the process is preparing you for your eternal life with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for trials. They don't feel good, but we know that they're for our good and your glory, so we give you praise and worship for them. We thank you for them, and Lord, we ask that they would have their way with us in in this life for Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.